welcome to Bitch Talk. Booze and interview straight from the heart of San Francisco. We're back again in the uh, the good old studio, if you will, doing more ins and outs for <laughs> that ass. <laughs> this time, we are giving you more interview love with Rafael Cazal. Hmm. Ooh. And David Diggs. <sighs> uh, <laughs> a blind spotting. Yeah, it was... We were, I'm sweating just talking about we were, it. My hands are we sweating. Were, uh, we'll excited about, yes. on many levels for this interview <laughs> because of the film, because of them and their talent. And uh, yeah, we were real excited for this interview. I can't even sit still like doing this I know, intro. you keep sh- like, shifting. It's moving, kind of making me feel grooving. weird. Um, Blind Spotting is another film that takes place in the heart of Oakland, California, East Bay. And uh, is so different than Sorry to Bother You. So different. Um, how different in, is in, it? In, in, the, in the same vein where it's just unafraid and just very bold and uh, just doesn't hold back. Right. But different in its style. And mm-hmm. both of these films are a genre of their own. So there's that. But it's, um, a, lot of, it's a lot of socio-political... Uh, commentary, mm-hmm. uh, but very different. Again, very different than Sorry to Bother You. Sorry to Bother You is like heady. Like it, you can see it one way or you can see it another. And, I think. and it, it's got that like sci fi magical realism. Actually, this one is kind of like this has a little bit of yeah. sort of anyway, yeah. But different. Um, but this is more like straight to the point versus Sorry to Bother You gives you this bigger, I don't know, bigger story to think about. Right, and this one's very specific. Blind spotting is uh, topical, and it, and it's um, hella topical, and it's a new. Oh, yeah. All right. Anyway, just <laughs> super shout out to these so guys. Good. They've been working on this script for ten years, which is you know, Ange and I are working on a documentary, and it's only five years. So I and mean, I'm already like, yeah, right, we're tired. exhausted. Where's the white towel? Yeah, no, <laughs> but we're not. I'm but just kidding. But anyway, they worked on this for ten years, and um, and it shows. Uh, the film's done really well. You're going to want to see it two, three, yep. four times. And I feel like every time you watch it, you're going to catch something new. Right. And the music's good. Visuals are good. Um, you'll see some familiar faces in there. You'll see some new faces in there, which is perfect. And uh, if you're from the East Bay, like I am, it's just, it's super homey. So um, I hope you see it, even if you're not from the Bay. It just, it talks a lot about what's happening here. And uh, go see Blind Spotting. It opens today in the Bay Area and selected theaters around the country and then wide next week. Rafael Cazal and W. Diggs here. They're best friends, former roommates, former Berkeley High students, uh, East Bay, born, raised. Uh, also, writers and actors of the upcoming film Blind Spotting. Welcome to Bitch Talk. What? <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly. So feel free to curse. Welcome to bitch talk. Yes, I had a feeling you'd like that. that word? <laughs> <laughs> bitch. Uh, first things first. Um, I want to know how much the script changed over the course of ten years, um, because a lot of things in the world changed in the last ten years, but a lot of things stayed the same. So. How did that reflect in your script? How did it do? I, I answered this one last time. Oh, <laughs> oh man, someone already asked this. We're skipping it. Next question. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you know, the, the thing that changed, I mean, the, the, the conversation around 
police tension and police violence changed, right? Like when, when we when we started this, Oscar Grant was this thing worthy of, of protests and riots and um, and a, a national conversation at that moment, right? What happened over the last ten years is that that list piled so high and so frequent without any resolve or or legislation change or really much evolution in the conversation um, that now when we, when it happens we're we just sort of move on uh, mm-hmm. not not because we don't care but because we know we know what level of perfect the victim needs to be in order to try to move the needle again it's one of the lines in the film wrong cocktail no protest for you convicted felon we're going to stay home on this one. It's not worth the energy. Um, so I think that was it. You know, the, the protests don't happen. And so the, the script really changed to, well, now the only person who's really going to be affected by it is the one person who sees it, which is, you know, David's character, Colin. Um, and about the isolation of that experience of like carrying that on your own. Uh, and that was, I think that's the biggest move the script made. Yeah. But not only it didn't only change throughout the course of these nine years, but while you were filming, you, you say that certain lines and if it didn't feel right for a character, it was a very big, a very much collaboration between you and your crew yeah. or your cast. Oh, absolutely, yeah, definitely. I think once you once you cast somebody, you that's that's theirs now, right? And you're sort of your job as an actor, I think, is to know more about your character than anyone else, particularly an ensemble piece, because there's so many moving pieces, right? So. Mm-hmm. You know, if an actor comes comes up to either were to come up to either one of us and be like, I don't know why I would say this, or the the person that I have developed wouldn't say this, you got to listen to that. If you cast if you cast if you cast the right people, then you have to listen to that. You know, yeah, Yeah, they've internalized the character deeper than you have at this point. You know, Mm -hmm. so the so the finished product came out a lot differently than than it was on paper initially. Well, I think that's always true yeah. of of a, of a film. Of the, you know, to, once the thing you make a film three times in the yeah. writing and the shooting and in the edit. I mean, I, I think actors did things that were interesting and nuanced that, that that aren't always on paper. And so you get in the cut and you go, well, they gave this facial expression that's super interesting. Let's pair it with this reaction. And um, yeah, you, you know, I don't know that the version of it that was on paper in the way that I saw it in my head is, is how it looks. It's better. It's so much better. Mm. You do so much with the space in between lines in a film. And so we loved it, dialogue and description. But Robbie and Carlos and our amazing team on the ground then in, you know injected it with all of their, their, their nuance and love and, uh, and brilliance. And, and so the, the end result is so much larger than the sum of its parts. Mm. A little bit about um, Monster, um, because I, I read in the notes that Jess Calder, one of the producers, one of the biggest producers of this film, called that sort of the origin of blind spotting. Yeah, that's the title of, a, of a, I think, the first poem that she saw me do, which was which was the catalyst for this this um, music album. Uh, but that that poem was a response to a, a good friend of mine when I was about I mean, 19, 20. Uh, a female friend of mine was killed uh, in, in Berkeley in, up, by, up by Cal. Um, she was shot uh, after a party up there. And uh, I had already been through a lot of funerals at that point, a lot of people who had, been, who had passed away from gun violence and shit in the Bay Area. And I remember 
being there at the at the at the at the at the the site where it happened and then also at the funeral with a bunch of the men that I grew up with who'd seen even more of that violence than I had and I remembered the the numbness the poem is about the numbness of violence mm-hmm. when it's in an, when it's in abundance how easy it is to callous over and get used to it right we get used to problematic things like that um and at a certain point you don't realize how used to it you are because you're living in the experience. Um, so that poem is about uh, feeling like a monster because I'm looking at things that in, in my mind should trigger sadness and crying and I'm seeing people crying. Mm-hmm. Then I'm seeing a row of men behind me that were joking and laughing and like humor is paired with sadness, that's natural. Right. But there's a disconnect to the violence that starts to happen after a while. Again, I think that speaks to, we, we managed to still pull that into the, the, the film, mm-hmm. um, that, that concept of, even you know, even Miles and his proximity to Colin, Miles isn't isn't desensitized to violence. He 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 wields violence. He knows its impact. He knows the 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 value of it, you know, mm-hmm. and the and the harshness of it. Um, he's he is reactionary because he is in many ways very much afraid of violence. Um, but even him, right next to Colin, who's experienced this incredibly violent, traumatic thing. Because he didn't see it, it just doesn't wear on him, mm-hmm. you know. I think that that numbness is sort of where we're at as a country. Like we, mm-hmm. we every day, <laughs> every day, where we have trauma fatigue, we're watching the news and we see a thing, and I like it. Just doesn't bother me anymore, and it, and that is what bothers me now. Right, I would pick what's bothering you. Well, because you're trying to way. survive, you're trying not to just yeah, cry all day. <laughs> when the when the Florida Oh, shooting mm-hmm. happened mm-hmm. I avoided it for like a week and I'm not even ashamed of that that's like not my fault mm-hmm. like, come on country do something mm-hmm. I don't have the emotional capacity for this um, which means that like our defense mechanism is to get numb mm-hmm. uh, I think that that's the right thing for us as people to do <laughs> to save our for our own mental health but it's also a really dangerous place for us to be swinging into. Mm-hmm. That poem was about wanting to like remind myself to feel because mm-hmm. the conscious decision to feel because the unconscious decision is to is to remove into callous. Yeah. And the whole movie is that lean yeah. in to feel. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, an, one of the things that I really love about the film is, of, of course, you capture that the tension and, and the anxiety that that comes with with living in in the city. But you also there's also so much beauty and laughter. And uh, David, I think in an interview you said like just because we bro- grew up poor doesn't mean that we were sad all the time. <laughs> I think you you did such a great job of capturing those two worlds. Yeah, I mean, there's a, yeah economics don't have anything to do really with happiness right I mean I, mm-hmm. you know you find that in your family real or created and so you know one of the things I love so much about the film we watched it last night for the first time yeah. in a long time I haven't actually sat through it in a long time uh, Miles and Colin as brothers essentially like bring each other so much joy and like are responsible for that like it's their responsibility right when one of them is not okay you tell a joke like because that's your job as as a friend to make sure that the situation is infused with joy mm-hmm. and um, I, I think that's that's a beautiful thing and I think um, particularly in like economically depressed communities you lean on that even heavier um, because the the 
material things that we distract ourselves with aren't as readily available, right? So we we use each other and we use humor and we you know uh, it's a it's a it's a coping mechanism, but a, a particularly healthy one, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, we only have like a few minutes, which makes me sad already. Oh, what? But uh, <laughs> I want to ask you how you guys feel about. Oakland, Berkeley, San Francisco, Bay Area now, as opposed to growing up, because I have to say, we're all mainly um, locals born and raised here, and it's rough I for me, day to day, to live here and see the changes. How do you guys feel when you come back and visit? It's really jarring. Yeah. I, I mean, I watched, I watched it happen to Berkeley first, early, early. Um, so Berkeley's been gone to me. People talk about Berkeley, and I'm like, I do not know the city you are relating to. Um, In what was, ways, if it you was, don't mind me asking? I mean, it was such like a lefty, like a super uber, uber, uber lefty alternative, you know, community of people that were so open-minded and so accepting. And and now I, f- what it feels like with my, my just a few years I lived in the, in the Midwest and, and have traveled around the country feels like the people who were sort of left for where they're from heard about Berkeley and moved there for some of the bells and whistles of the city. But it's really not that, it's not that progressive. There's an idea of Berkeley now that was Berkeley in like the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, just just the stats of the demographics of the city have shifted so drastically and the economics of, I mean, my parents bought their house in Berkeley for like... 110 <laughs> maybe you know mm-hmm. but nothing like mm-hmm. and it was not nice right <laughs> we had right. we had I remember my mom something like I asked my mom once I was like why are there like circles in the in the intersection oh right yeah the roundabouts like, yeah. Yeah. yeah well no 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 they added the roundabouts these oh. were tire marks yeah. oh <laughs> <laughs> like oh yeah the roundabouts no. the tire marks these are ways that we stop right. and we right. push out certain right. people you know that's what they were replaced sure that they, yeah the roundabouts came to stop people from doing donuts i did not know that you know, okay the, the that's that's why you gotta go around you can't hit your, you can't hit your shit um, you know and I, and I remember the shifting of the titles of the neighborhoods like mm. i live firmly in north berkeley now that was west berkeley my whole life you know up until mm. like 12 or 13 and then and then it changed it because it was better for the selling of the houses mm. um and and uh, and how berkeley can you be parade went away and uh, and and the city got strict in ways that it was really uncomfortable, and and then everyone from Berkeley couldn't live there anymore, and they moved to Oakland, right? That's why that's why I rep Oakland so hard. That's mm-hmm. why everybody I knew, I mean, all my friends were from Oakland and Berkeley, except all the Berkeley ones left and live in the town now, and now mm-hmm. everyone is getting pushed out of the town. Right? Like I'm following my people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm repping where my people are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I give a shit about the city limits. I'm repping my community of people. Yeah. Um, that's why I, I you know. Growing up in 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 those two cities, it was so important. But Washington, Berkeley, and Oakland, and, and San Francisco now it's it's a it's a it's a story of of, of you know f- sort of watching a family member die in mm-hmm. a way. You know, uh, the film for us a lot was like time capsuling. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. I, I, my the fear of it. There, I have, there's optimism there too, but the fear of it is in 20 years when I want to explain to my children mm-hmm. or, to, or to other people that I love and, and know what it was like to be where we're from. We had nothing to show them that, mm-hmm. that showed what it was like. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this, a lot of this was, I want to show you who the people were. 
what the town was, what mm-hmm. it felt like, how they talked, how we how we hung, how we played, how we partied, um, before it was gone. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a out being in San Francisco is a trip, right? I mean, if you spend any time here before, because it's like it's unrecognizable and it it's, uh, is a a product of a completely <laughs> shattered middle class, right? It's oh, yeah. so expensive to live here uh, that you is you're wealthy or you're homeless, right? That's it. That's, That's it. it. And so mm-hmm. um, there's a kind of, and there's a weird kind of the, the way that culture is sort of covered over through the, through the gentrification process is like, it's, a, it's about making something for mass production, right? It's about mm-hmm. a, a, a samening of everything. Mm-hmm. Why Berkeley didn't feel like Berkeley mm-hmm. anymore. It's why Oakland feels like it's slipping away. It's because in order to make something for to attract people from everywhere, right? You make it's it's network TV, right? It's like mm-hmm. that's that's what we're doing to these cities, mm-hmm. making them as as palatable to the masses as possible. How many Whole Foods and Starbucks? Can Starbucks, we <sighs> Chipotle, and Subways, yeah. also Subways too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So because this is something that is is everybody's <laughs> taste, right? Like, and nobody's taste. It right. is no taste. It is not a choice. Right. And that's and that's what I think sometimes in the interest of bringing finance in, we're going for it. One of the reasons it's important to do things like make movies and mm-hmm. and do sort of cultural work that highlights the the city, but also is our shot in the cities because that is an influx of income. That's actually a revenue stream that is right. investing in the thing that's already there yeah. right. um, and does not rely on new people coming in. It's it's revenue because of, of what it looks like and mm-hmm. what it is right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's another reason we shot in the town. It's another reason I'm so happy so many people are starting to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I just want to thank you guys for making this film. like a bitch talk specific yeah, question. <laughs> so, Those were it. Okay. <laughs> See, pretty, pretty calm. That was our interview with Rafael Cazal, David Diggs at Blind Spotting writers and actors of this film huh <laughs> first of all we have to tell you how this interview went yeah uh, okay yeah uh first of all we only get 15 minutes right. which it's is nothing it sucks no matter who you're interviewing i'm not complaining no but it just it, it super goes great so fast. but it goes too fast especially when you're interviewing two people because right. you, you could have 15 minutes with each of them in their own right and it, it wouldn't have been enough but let alone both of them at the same time um so we're sitting there in, in the interview, and it was great, and we were getting into these really deep, well, yeah. heartfelt, mm-hmm. emotional issues uh, that the story, that the film touches upon. And, uh, okay, so uh, just to give you a little visual, <laughs> how we were seated around this round table was, it was David Diggs, Rafael Casal, myself, and then Aaron. So I was in the middle, so I was mostly looking to the left. So all I could see was Rafael and, uh, and David. I would like to reference that if you just go to our Instagram uh, page, it's a Bitch Talk Podcast, you can find this photo. So there's a setup <laughs> of find, us. You can find pho- photographic proof of so pull the it story up, that we're telling you right and now. And then you can follow along with the story. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So um, Raphael gave, uh, in, the, in the beginning, first half of the interview, Raphael was, was speaking more than David, which is fine. You know, they kind of took turns. So I would be listening to Raphael very deep Intently, conversation. Yep. He was saying really thoughtful, emotional things. And then I would just kind of feel some eyes on me. <laughs> and I peer to the right and just catch eyes with David Diggs. Right. And it, if you don't know what this man looks like, 
those eyes you call them cow are, are eyes. Inten- they're but inten- intense cow eyes. Intense cow eyes. Like soft and gentle, but and soft, but intense. Right. Like kind of like looking through you. And and I didn't know that he was doing the same thing to Aaron until we left yeah. the interview. And I was like, oh man, I was kind of distracted because I would like catch eyes with him halfway through the question and, and get all distracted. Right. And he was doing the same thing to you. Yeah, it was distracting. <laughs> and we're I mean, trying to, you I know, trying to really be in the moment, but it was real hard. I didn't mind, but it was just really funny. Like, we'd meet eyes and be like, oh, shit, wait, pay attention. Go back to the left. You yeah. Know? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. But then Aaron made up a good point. We were trying to think of, like, oh, yeah. I was okay, like, what was he thinking? Why was he looking at us so intensely? Why was it intense? Because normally when you're in an interview, you look at the person who's speaking. Right. You know. At least not the whole time. You don't stare at the other two people. Right, right. You're not looking at the other two while this other person's talking. Right. So we came up with some. So good I was theories. like, did he <laughs> think that we were sisters? Like he couldn't figure out what what our relationship was with the same haircut. Yeah, he's like, are they sisters? Are, are they, they scissor sisters? Ew, no. <laughs> it's not a just May Peloso um, interview. But I just I, that's or like, why do they have similar haircuts? That's right. Like Is I just a- I really wish we were like, do you? Have have questions for us we should have just asked that question at the well, end no my favorite part was uh oh. how you know like we always you know we're we have the 15 minutes right and then um usually the the publicist or somebody from their team usually kind of gives me the cue of like okay you have five minutes left mm-hmm. i'm usually on time to keep us on time and like kind of get us where I'm giving you guys cues a minute or two earlier so that we're always, we don't, you know, squish, you know, we don't squeeze into other people's time. Right. And I always and ignore you because yeah. I get mad when you She tell had me. no idea. Anyways, that's a whole other thing. Well, I was, was like, busy oh, being, I didn't, I, I didn't was, know. She, I, no, you, I was busy locking eyes with yeah. David Diggs. Sorry. And she I never pays attention things. to my, th- my, because she gets <laughs> mad at me when I give her the cue. Like I go, oh, you've got three minutes and you're like, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> well, and I just want to tell you when I used to do that job and when you're a publicist, the people that stay on time are kind of your favorites. The people that lag and keep asking questions and just think that they can stay in the room that you're like, I don't ever want to have them. No. I, I, okay, on. here's the thing. I get mad, but I still stay within time, but I'll still get mad. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> no. But like for me and as as always being that person. that No. Like I've I appreciate alwa- it. I always like every Aaron knows this from, you know, when she was in that world in that world that the first thing that I always ask the publicist is what's my absolute heart out so that I know how to time you guys and give you guys I even give you you know an extra two or three minutes I start cueing you I start wrapping you guys a couple minutes early to make sure that I'm got I've got you guys out by that heart out that's why when you and you're like it's over already I thought I had 12 minutes right. <laughs> and it's like you know eight you we're eight minutes in but anyways uh i was kind of keep you know like i'm keeping time and then um our publicist comes in and usually because we're in the room by ourselves so he comes in gives me the high sign to kind of warn me so then i start giving you guys your little rap cues yep, your yep. twos your threes your you know, like all she that she doesn't kinda, know that yeah so, all that, yeah. All, all that <laughs> i'm stuff. watching you know like pulling <laughs> I'm, I'm pulling the curtain for our listeners it's like that's kind of how that how these interviews work right is you know we're allotted time and then i like i'm the timekeeper of making sure that we don't piss anybody off yep and um and so uh the best part was or the funniest part was when <laughs> 
Yeah. I was trying to get you guys to rap. Yes. And then you guys were trying to do your last question. Yep. And David, who has it, who for the most part, Raphael was the one who was kind of dominating the interview. And then at the very end, he decided to speak up. And then he and had was, like the longest. And it was great what answer. he was saying. It was, no, it was, yeah. it was actually really poignant and it was really good. And it was a perfect close. For it, the yeah, it was really good content. But then I got like, I was giving raps like minutes ago. <laughs> I know like, you were. Besides me. Like, then, with, and then the publicist. The publicist in walked in when it was supposed to be there. over and we're just like, I'm like, ah. Yeah, that yeah. was the funniest part. And then you got, and then I didn't even, I didn't even know about the big eye staring thing. And then you guys mentioned it to me. And then I looked at, <laughs> and then you guys said, "Send me the pictures." And I looked at the pictures, and I was like, "Oh, there!" It is. Like every photo, it's either him looking at me or her. And she, it's, I'm not mad. No, thank you. But you know, it was a little distracting. That's all I'm going to say. Right. Um, <laughs> one other thing I want to say is thank you, David Diggs, for following Bitch Talk Podcast on Instagram. Because he has over 400,000 people that follow him, so he doesn't have to follow anybody. Right. Um, but yeah. That I, was... And that, anyway, back to the, <laughs> yes. the interview and, and blind spotting. We, didn't, we just touched the surface with these questions. Yep. We had so much more to ask them, but I hope you see this film and support it because it's so important. And they and uh, them them getting having a big opening weekend means mm-hmm. that they get to make more films. Right, and it's so important. Their voice is so unique, mm-hmm. and um, they and, need they need to be supported. It's and we incredible. did a, we did something a little bit different this time around. We actually had a we had a, um, a film crew with us, All so right. we're probably going to have uh, at least a clip or two. Oh wow! So we'll things. have oh, we'll still have eyes evidence. on us. We'll have video. on video. We'll actually see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Oh, uh, that's so. It was wow. a one shot though, so I, don't I know. know. If we had too bad, we didn't have the two shot. I think shot. it would be incredible if it, you can tell like each of us darting, taking turns, darting, like looking darting, and going darting. back. And looking. If we if we had the two shot, <laughs> that would be awesome. Put that in the budget for next time. Oh, man. <laughs> we'll ask Annika. That's what I mean. We'll see um, how many man greats we sold. Maybe we'll have enough for... Forget it. <laughs> um, forget about them. Forget, forget that. Uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> Anyways, go support Blind Spotting. Thank you, Lionsgate, for having us. Um, this is a big film for them. Thank you to Pete's Coffee. They didn't give us coffee, but they're heavily supporting Blind Spotting, and they're a local company, so you should drink their coffee. And uh, we will see you soon. Bitch, please.